This, um, this week, about a week and a half ago, I was going into Racetrack gas station um, to buy nothing because we're on the fast, but to buy, to buy, oh, how he's glad today's the end of the fast, hallelujah. But I'll be honest, man, I, I've heard more testimonies and people hearing the voice of God in the past few weeks. It's just been incredible, you know, but I was on my way in to pay for some gas, and, and as I'm walking toward the door, there's this African-American guy, black dude about my age, walking up toward the door, and then there's this Latino 20-something-year-old, he's walking toward the door, and you can see in all of our eyes in the same moment, who's going to get to open the door for the, per, the next person, you know what I mean? And it was neat to see in this young Latino, just his eyes like, and he's trying to get there before me, and I'm like, uh-uh, I'm getting there before you. And the, and the black dude, he's like, no, I'm getting there before. You can just see us, all these big old boys, just trying to get to the door, to open the door for each other. And, and it was almost, if somebody would have seen it, it would have been comical almost, you know? And um, we, okay, okay, so now we're all inside racetrack, and we're all kind of like, 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 yeah, we just did a thing. I mean, without saying any of this, I mean, I know it's not like we just changed the whole world. I get that, okay? Pastor did not change the whole world opening a door. I get it. But we all have this look like, that's how it should be. Now, hold on. It gets better. So now we're standing there in this like, like, oh, and, 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 and a white lady, elderly white lady, pulls up into the handicapped spot. This has all happened like in just seconds. She pulls up in, and, and she, her person pulls up in, and she gets out, and she's, and, and we got an opportunity. And so all three of us are like, like, we got both doors open. We're, we're serving this. Like she, she, she walks and she doesn't realize what's going on. And then she looks at us. Her eyes got real big. And well, thank you, boys. And she walked in. Here's what was cool about that. In that moment, that woman was our abuela. In that moment, just like right then. That was grandma to all of us. And we were just like, come on. You know, that was our booby right there. We were just like, come on. And we were bringing her in. And, and, and it was just, but there was no words shared. But we all just kind of smiled. And, and, and you could just tell that in that moment, every single one of us, there was such deference, honor. There was concern in that moment. There was intentionality in the moment. It was as if every one of us in that moment was saying to each other, you matter. You matter. You matter. You matter. Oh, white lady, you matter too. Come on. It was just the coolest 60th this year. Oh, that was hilarious. Barbara's like, yeah, you're not, this is your 60th this year, you said. Woo! You're not there yet. That, that's the most young, vibrant person I've ever met. But when it comes down to it, it's just kind of, you know, as kids, you're grown up singing the song, Jesus loves the little children of the world, you know? Red and yellow, black and white, they're precious in his sight. And that song in that moment just came to life for me that, that everyone there in that moment was just trying to show deference. And can I just say it? I mean, to be quite honest, in a lot of ways, God's children in the world in so many ways are a mess. Can I just be honest? God's precious children in the world in so many ways are a mess. In the United States, in so many ways when it comes to issues of, of culture and, 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 and race, in so many ways, at times we can all be a mess but I'm here to declare in so many ways also that God's children are precious in his sight. Yeah. Amen. I'm here to declare in the morning this morning that in so many ways also that we can be those who choose to honor and those that choose to have concern and those that walk with an intentionality that allows people to, to see and know, you ready for this? Know the peace of God. 
I love that word precious, precious in his sight. That word precious, it means this. It's an object, subject, substance, or resource of great value. Okay, something of great value, not to be wasted or treated carelessly. Not that people are of great value, and every one of them is not to be wasted or treated carelessly. And can I just say it this way? I don't believe that our nation is facing a race issue. Baby, can you hand me, Amy, can you hand me my, and if you're listening to the podcast, baby and Amy's my wife. I don't believe that it's just a race issue that we're facing. Can I say what I feel it is? It's a value issue. A value issue. Precious. That's an object or some resource or some person, something of great, say, value. value. And with that, because of that, we can't treat that carelessly. And we may not understand both sides of arguments and issues and this and that, and it divides us if we're not careful. But when we come from a place of value... It changes everything. It shapes how we relate to each other. And I have a feeling, myself and those other two gentlemen, in our own private lives of, of just contemplation, I think all three of us were just fed up and tired of all the stuff. And in that moment, it was just in a simple way of deference, we wanted to honor each other and let each other know you have value, period. There's value to you. And so when it comes down to it, if you value folk, I don't want you to miss this. You don't, if you value folk, you don't care what color they are, period. Colors, all cultures, all, doesn't mean you're colorblind, all right? It's wonderful to be able to see all colors, all cultures, all backgrounds, but you don't care what color you are. And, and as I was thinking about that, I thought to myself, well, great, praise your name that you don't care what color people are. To me, if you think about it, that would be, I'm going to label that, passive value okay so from a passive standpoint yeah i'm not prejudiced i don't care about what color folk are you know i don't care about any of that stuff i'm definitely you know so there's a sense of passive value does that make sense now watch this though this turns it to active so if you value folk you don't care what color they are passive value if you value folk you do care about who they are Come on, let me say that. I'm sorry. I don't preach a whole lot of good stuff. That's good. <laughs> passive value. But listen, if you value folk, you do care about who they are. That's active value. It's not enough for me just to be passive in that moment, man, and show deference in a sense. But I wish I had some time to know those gentlemen. But I do have time to know you. I do have time to know other folk in my life from different backgrounds, different cultures, and so on. So you have passive value and you have active value value. I want to be a house, Momentum Church. I want to be a person that sees everyone as precious in God's sight to the degree that I put value on them, not just for the color of their skin or in spite of the color of their skin or whatever. I don't want to just be passive in my value. I want to know people. I want to know who they are. I want to understand their pains, even though I may not get it. I want to be able to know their heart. I want that conversation. I want to understand. Amen? And so that is very active value because people are precious and because they are precious, God has called us to be agents of his peace, period. So over the next few weeks, we're looking at the series called Precious in His Sight. And it's not just a series dealing with race. We're dealing with that this year or this week. But it's a series dealing with value. And so we'll be looking over the next few weeks at honor in the home. Sometimes the people we value the least are those we live with. And so what does that look like? 
to value your family? What's that look like to have honor in the home? We're going to be looking at that. We're going to be looking at this idea of reconciliation, an amazing creative sermon the last week of this series dealing with reconciliation and value between those that maybe you don't trust anymore and value between those that you're frustrated with or angry with, somebody that's hurt you, done you wrong. What's it look like to bring value back to that relationship. So if you're going, oh, this is just a series on relation, race relations. No, it's a series on all relationships. Why? Because every one of God's children, everybody say it with me, are precious in his sight. Say it one more time, precious. Thinking about God using, I've been excited about this series since October, I'm telling you right now. We begin dreaming and thinking about God using this as a word for our house since the first part of October, and I'm excited about teaching our family of God to be people who, listen, who cultivate shalom. Okay? Cultivate shalom. And we're going to, we're going to cover some neat ground today. And, and the reason why I'm saying, calling it cultivating shalom, that, that's basically the idea of extending God's shalom to the chaos of a broken world. Extending that peace of God. That's what the shalom is. The, the peace of God to a broken chaotic situation, a broken, chaotic world. And by the end of the month, I pray that God will help us to be able to express his shalom in the midst of a broken, maybe marital relationship or a sibling relationship. Be able to express God's shalom in the midst of something where somebody has done you so wrong, it's almost irreparable. But be able to express his, his shalom, his peace in the midst of that chaos. Amen? When it comes down to it, the simple act of kindness, concern, and deference to each other that I showed there at racetrack in that little gesture, that was a small, simple act of shalom. It was a small, simple act of, of, of peace. Shalom, that word shalom, it's a Hebrew word. It's taken from the root Hebrew word shalem, shalom rather, and it means this, to be safe in mind, body, or estate. So when I say to someone, shalom, I'm, I'm asking God to make them safe in mind, in body, in a state. In that moment, going to the door, there is words that have been spoken to that African-American gentleman that at times may not make him feel safe in mind, body, or a state when it comes to dealing with the opposite race, you know? I hate to even call it race. I mean, I, we're all human race, amen? Amen? One race, Amen? One race under the big sky, amen? <laughs> but, but still, that's how we view things. And when it comes down to it, this, this idea of the peace, the shalom, I'm, I'm hoping for their safety their, in their mind, their body, their state. That word shalom means also that it's about completeness, about asking God to make somebody walk in fullness. It's about the idea of wholeness and a concern for another person's welfare. Now, here's what's neat about shalom. The idea of shalom, it's not passive, okay? Remember, passive and active? It's not a word that is passive in its challenge to us to value another person. No, no. It's active, and when you hear it, it demands you to enter into shalom as well. So it's not something that I just receive. It's something I give. It's a circle. It's something to work God, body, and spirit, and self to walk in his prosperity, his completeness, his wholeness, that sense of safety, mind, body, and spirit, and I'm blessing another person, I'm giving peace to them to do the same, to walk in that, with the intention that they're going to go out, and when they see that next person, they're going to give peace to them, etc., etc., etc. It's active. It's not, it's not passive. That's 
who I want to be as God's people. I just believe those that are a part of the kingdom of God ought to be agents of peace in the midst of chaos. Okay? There's so much political division. Man, it, it would be hard to preach through all that. I'm just being honest. In one sermon. Even in one series, you know? So much political division. But if we get in our minds that everything we look at, everything we come to, we've got to be an agent of peace, changes everything. Because then when that person that you disagree with politically, that person that you disagree with, you don't understand, is, is giving their diatribe, you know, you come across in a sense that's godly. I'm not saying God's not just. There is time for that challenge. I get that. But trying to understand that other person needs to come before that challenge sometimes. Amen? Because we're agents, of, we're agents of peace in the midst of chaos. And so when it comes to this idea of shalom, I want us to be a people who cultivate Shalom. And a people of the kingdom. This is going to be fun. Imagine with me two kingdoms, all right? This is your left. So we're going to have this as the kingdom of the evil one, all right? Because he ain't right. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and over here, this is the kingdom of God. And there's two kingdoms always at war. And those kingdoms can take upon themselves flesh and look all different ways, you know. Um, um, the kingdom of God can be expressed through the church, the flesh of the church, and be seen as something holy. Those who espouse the kingdom of God take upon flesh that's not holy and can do things that seem extremely unrighteous. Extremely, extremely unholy. Okay, so, so there is two kingdoms, and we've got to be able to realize which side we are on, okay. Um, um, come with me, if you will, to the world, rather, of Capernaum. And the city of Capernaum. And in this community, this area, rather, of Capernaum, Jesus, he had lived, he had taught in this, this community. I want you to turn your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 12, while I'm just kind of filling you in, getting you up to speed. And so when it comes to Jesus in the gospel of, of Matthew, he's in this area of Capernaum for a good little while. And he lived and he taught in this area of Capernaum. During that time, there was ten amazing miracles that happened during that time. Um, during that time in Capernaum, um, there was just an amazing season of teaching. And the teaching centered around Jesus talking about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom's like this, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. And he's trying to get them to understand that his kingdom had come and that it was time for this gospel of peace to go forth. And so the whole season that he's there in Capernaum, he's doing miracles, he's teaching on the kingdom, Okay. And this city, one more thing about it, it was kind of known for a couple things. It was known for great scholars, just, just people that really were students of the word. They were sages that really understood God's holy Torah, the, 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 the word of God, the law of God. And, and, and they valued it, and they appreciated it, and they held tight to it, and they believed they understood it. Not only that, that the best preachers in the day were ministering in Capernaum. I mean, like, it would be like the Judah Smith, if anybody follows preaching. Love that guy, you know? It was like Judah Smith and, 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 and Stephen um, Furtick and, and Ross Wiseman all combined. No. <laughs> that was, that was, oh, that was, I told you God's trying to help me get to that place of affirmation. I told you that a few weeks ago, and so I'm just going to put myself there. But when it came down to it, this is an area that really knows the word. They're biblically literate. 
And they're hearing the best teachers of Judaism that, that Judaism had to offer at the time. And, and in the midst of all this, there's a situation where there's this demon-possessed guy. And Jesus casts this demon-possessed guy out. And these great leaders, these great men that are so studied, they begin to kind of come against Jesus. And they begin to accuse Jesus of driving demons out by this other kingdom, by the power of Satan. Okay? So this accusation comes against Jesus, and in Matthew, we see the word of God. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to honor his word by standing, and let me read Matthew 12, verse 24. When the Pharisees heard it, that about this, this demon-possessed man being, being set free, when the Pharisees heard it, they said it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of the demons. It's only by this kingdom that he's done this. That this man has cast out demons, knowing their thoughts. That's always good. If you're Jesus and you know thoughts, that's awesome. That kind of just like kills every fight. Divided against itself is laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Father, I ask over the next few minutes that you'd help me to articulate just the kingdom. And where you want us to be as emissaries of peace in the scope of the chaos that is surrounding our country and our world. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Go ahead and have your seat. So in Jesus' mind, there are two kingdoms. This kingdom of the evil one and this kingdom of of God. You can see it right there that, that there's two definite distinctions. One is the kingdom of the king of Jesus that he came to speak of and that he began to teach on all matters of the kingdom and in Capernaum he just continues to delineate what the kingdom of God is like. The other one is the kingdom of the evil one. And these two kingdoms throughout Scripture, especially the New Testament, especially the Gospels, you see these two kingdoms collide over and over and over and over. Okay? And, and, and in the midst of the collision, the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom, he constantly speaks life. He constantly brings his prosperity, his blessing. He constantly does this work in the midst of that that is so awesome in the midst of chaos. He brings this order. He brings this, this peace. And so what happens, he's ministered in Capernaum all this time, seeing all these wonderful miracles. People that should know the word are missing it. You know, and he's kind of challenging them to, to get your eyes open. This is reality right here. You may think you know a bunch of stuff, but you don't. Watch this. Look at this. Learn from this. And he's challenging them. And you see these two kingdoms, and they meet. And you see these two loyalties throughout Scripture, and they continue to clash. And after ministering in Capernaum, the town of the king, at least they believed they were the town of the king. They believed that they were following after the word of God, and they were, and they would espouse that, but they just didn't understand to the degree that they attributed righteous works to the evil one. You know, They just couldn't understand. But in the midst of this people, Jesus says to his disciples, okay, come on, let's go to the other side. Capernaum is there at the edge of the lake of Gennesaret, which is another name for that. It's the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is like, let's go to the other, other side. You know, we've, we've been here. It's time to minister somewhere else. And, and I could almost hear his disciples' fear. The other side. I mean, I'm sure that's the land of Gadara. Go to the other side. 
that's the land of the Gadarenes. That, that's the land of Gadara. That's the land where, yes, they're Jews, but they have so mixed in with the Hellenistic culture of the day and the paganism of the day that they have continued to practice unrighteousness to the degree that they can't even understand which kingdom they're serving. And now Jesus is saying, let's go over there. And here's what's wild. There's a demonic man over there too. Remember the man of the Gadarenes who had cut himself in the tombs and he's chained and he's bound? And this is where they're headed. They're heading to the land where all that took place. And Jesus is pointing, telling them, that's where we're going. We're going to this place where there's a man full of demonic spirits, etc. We're going to this land. They've heard the reputation of the paganism. The Jewish people in that land were raising pigs. Don't, you don't do that. You don't do that as a Jew if you love God, right? So they're raised, and they have a, a, a pig herd. I almost said a sheep herd, but that's, that's not pigs. They had a pig herd. What is a pig? What do you have, gaggles of pigs? What is, I don't, what is a It's a herd. Okay, that works. It's not as fun as a covey. It's not as fun as a murder, a murder of crows. That's weird. Okay, I'm sorry. So, <laughs> oh my gosh. But when it comes down to it, there's 2,000 pigs over there. And so with that, he's telling them, we're going to go across over to that land. But this is the land of the word. This is good stuff. Look at all these miracles we've seen. This has been wonderful, Jesus. I've learned all these teachings about the kingdom. And you want us to go where? Over, over there. Really? Over there? Yes, over there. So here's what happens. I'm debating, do I read it? Do I? I'll read it. On that day, when evening had come, he said, let's cross over to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, just as Jesus was, and the other boats were with him. And watch this. Just like a king, it makes sense that the evil one, as they are headed toward the Gadara, as they're heading toward that land, doesn't it make sense that the evil one sees him coming and wants to stir up chaos? I think we've always been taught that that, that tempest on the, the sea was Jesus' ability to help his, his people know, peace be still, and he calms the water. Jesus never sets you up. Okay? There's an evil one that comes to stir chaos in our world. And Jesus, in the midst of the chaos, will speak peace. But Jesus never sets you up. Don't put that load on him. Okay? But I think we've always taught it that way, that God let this storm come. And he did. But I believe they started going toward that of Gadara, and it was a land that represented a whole nother kingship. And as they started going toward that kingship, as they started going toward these people that should be living right, but they're living wrong, as they started going toward this demoniac that is all bound, the enemy of that kingdom begins to just stir up the waters. Okay? I don't know what waters are stirring in your life. I don't know what chaos you might have. You know, this, like I said, this isn't just about race. Whatever that chaos is, King Jesus is on the scene, amen? amen? It goes and it says, and a great windstorm arose, and waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke Jesus, and they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, peace, be still. In the midst of all that that king of darkness was trying to do, Jesus is sleeping. He has no worries. Ain't no thing but a thing, you know. He's just peaceful. 
And in that moment, he rises up, and he goes, and he speaks, peace be still. And you know what happens when the agents of God become agents of shalom? You know what happens when the agents of God cultivate shalom? Do you know what happens? It tells us right here. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you all so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And they said to each other, who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? I'll tell you who he is. He is the prince of of shalom. He is the prince of peace, and he ain't worried one bit. That's who he is, okay? And so in the midst of the storm, Jesus positions himself, and in that moment cultivates peace, in that moment speaks peace, in that moment brings a sense of God's wholeness and completeness, and cares for his disciples in that moment. In the face of attack, peace and order came, Amen. Here's what's crazy about the story. If you go on, and we're not going to read, I don't even have scripture, the verses up there for it, but if you go on and you read into Mark chapter 5, you're going to hear the story of how the man of the Gadarenes, um, or the Gerasenes, some translations say Gerasenes, it's, it's the same area, okay? And you're going to see how that man was set free, okay? But here's what's crazy. The man is set free, and in setting him free, this demon, these demonic spirits, they ask this prince of peace, do something with us. Don't just cast us out. Put us in the pigs. And so Jesus abided, you know, and he put him in the pigs, these demons. And the 2,000 pigs run off a cliff. And the beginning of the glory of bacon started. <laughs> For all time, <laughs> I don't know about you, when I eat bacon, I am at peace. The chaos of my hunger is stilled. Glory to God. All right, so no. But when it comes down to it, here's what's crazy. These pigs end up getting destroyed. I really believe that was Jesus' way of saying, I'm not just setting the demoniac free. All you Jewish people that aren't living up to your law, living up to the way you're supposed to be living to please God, okay, I'm setting you free too if you want it. Here's what happened. This blows my mind. I'm going to read this. You don't have the scripture up there, but just what? I'll just read it. <laughs> they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, all those demons, clothed in his right mind. That's awesome. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And this is so sad. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. God, in the midst of society, wants to stir peace in the face of chaos. And so many people almost ask Jesus to go somewhere else. God is trying to bring order and set captives free. And the lies that's on top of people's minds. And there are lies associated with race issues and backgrounds and such, you know. And Jesus is coming to set people free. And others are just going, but that's going to mess everything up around here. That's going to change everything. Yes, it is. And the cool thing about it is the agent of change, Jesus, is there. I believe he would just continue to minister and do this work and great things. But they want him to leave because it's messing up their agenda. In the midst of chaos, peace can come. But if we don't want peace, if it messes up our chaos, we like our chaos sometimes. And if it messes up our agenda, sometimes we push away the Prince of Peace. 
or will Prince push away us being agents of the Prince of Peace? God wants that peace to come. He wants us to be peace agents in the midst of financial chaos and agents of peace, agents of shalom, cultivating shalom in the midst of relational chaos and and in the midst of of, of just whatever it might be, you know, racial chaos. He wants his church, his black, white, red, yellow, his church, period, to be those that are agents of peace, those who cultivate, they have a passion to cultivate peace. Peace. Can I just say it this way? I think that diversity, when there's diversity, it just, it just speaks of peace. Now, there's, there's some struggle that comes to get to the place of peace and diversity, but it's so worth it. Can I tell you why it's worth it? Because I believe diversity is divine. I do. I believe that God made man in his image, and that's black man and white man and Latino man and all different colors of men, you know? God and women too. All my sisters in the house. He made us in his image. That's awesome. That even in the, the diversity of God somehow, I don't know how that all works. He created us in such a way. And, and I don't know if it's true. I heard a story one time that the dust of the ground, that there's all the colors that could ever be made of man in the dust of the ground. God made us in his image out of the dust of the ground. It's so, so powerful, so beautiful. But listen, can I tell you this way? Diversity is divine. Division, though, I believe is demonic. And everything, that chaos, I know it might look like, and that's the thing I hate. There's Christians who, in their misunderstanding, start to get a little close to the edge. You know what I mean? And in doing so, begin to serve the chaos of that king. I want us to be those who guard ourselves. And that's if you're here and you're black. I'm not preaching just to my white folks saying get right. Black folk get right too. Right? Hispanic folk get correcto too. I, 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 don't, I don't know the word right in Spanish. That. Get that too, you know. All of us. Lean in toward our king. Lean in toward his kingdom. Lean in toward that place of peace. And chaos will always challenge it. But we can be agents of peace, cultivating peace in the midst of that, that chaos. So the reason why we've got to lean in over here is because, can I tell you, I don't care what color you are, we have one king. His name is Jesus. This kingdom over here can be divided. You know, it really can because the divided kingdom will not stand. And this kingdom really doesn't care if you have all these different kingdoms. If everybody's fighting, you know, and this slogan separates people from this slogan, whatever that might be, you know, if, if we can just keep everything stirred up, this kingdom is happy. And so as Christ followers, we got to be careful that sometimes we dip our toe over here and we miss being a part of the kingdom that God is trying to bring peace and order in. Does that make sense? And and can I say it this way? There's some things about some of the slogans and things over here that are good. Not not everything's said. It's It's like, yes, I get it. But this kingdom is such a kingdom of chaos and darkness. It'll always take the good and try to bring bad out of it. It'll always try to stir and bring more division no matter what is said. That's the nature of that kingdom. But can we be people that lean into this kingdom, the kingdom of peace, and be able to look ways God show us how to cultivate in the midst of chaos peace? 
I'm going to throw some of these, these words out. Is that okay if I do this? And, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to do it right. There's no way I can do this next portion of this talk and make everybody happy, make everybody mad. I don't know what's going to happen. But you need to hear this next little portion, all right? Sometimes in this kingdom, the slogan, Black Lives Matter, is expressed. And it's a good slogan. I believe there's a righteousness to the slogan. But the enemy takes that slogan and has turned it into something that can be... Um, subjugated to evil and, and darkness and, 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 and anger and, and all this stuff. And I really do believe that the first time it's coined, I really do believe it was the black person saying in modern times, I am a man. Do you remember that? In the, in the 50s and 60s, the signs, I am a man. It was just, I matter. That's all it was. And I want to just give that to the black person. You're right, you do. I don't need to fight that. And so the black person, when they hear the white person say, well, all lives matter, instantly we divide in our kingdoms. Rather than going, that might be a white person that's just trying to say everybody matters. It may really not be an evil intent that everybody matters, but everybody matters more than you. You know what I mean? But the enemy loves to bring chaos. He loves to keep that division coming, you know? And, 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 and. I'm, can I say it this way? I think when the black person hears all lives matter, and it comes especially with an angry spirit, okay? Because normally it doesn't come with a, a spirit of compassion. Well, all lives matter. That's how it comes. However you text it, but that's how it comes. Or Facebook it, but that's how it comes. You know what I'm saying? I, I think for some folks of color, they hear that, and in their mind, that alternative saying is a person saying, I don't believe that black lives matter as much as my life. No. They may not be saying that at all. Now, there's some that might be very well saying that. And the tone of their demeanor, you can tell. Does that make sense? Let me jump on, let me jump on Whitey for a second. Okay. <laughs> That's myself, okay? Make America great again. What? <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So, make America. I love America. How many love America? I do. I do. But in some ways, a person of color might go, make America great again. When, when was it great? You know? I'm just saying culturally, historically, you know? Um, was America great during its colonial days up until the mid-1800s when on the backs of men and women treated like chattel? What's chattel? That's like animals that are sold and purchased and used to do work. Was America great during that period of 400-some years? Maybe not so much for a lot of people, Right? It was good for people that look like me. Really good, okay? But it wasn't good for everybody. It was America great during the mid to late 1800s when the U.S. government had finally accomplished removing all Native Americans and finally got to the place where they have them all on reservations, etc. When they were sterilizing their, 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 their women in the name of, well, we, we don't want to keep things replicating on the, the reservations. Yes, that happened. Was America great during that? Well, for, for people who look like me, it was great. But for a lot of people, not so, so great. Was America great during World War II when Japanese Americans were placed for four years in concentration camps? Now, they weren't concentration camps like the Jewish people that faced in, in Germany, but they were definitely holding cells, holding environments, and atrocities happened on those holding environments. Again, nothing like what happened during, during the Holocaust, nothing like that. But still, horrible things happened. And again, it's, not, it's messy. I understand it. What do we do? We've just been bombed by Japanese people. I get it, you know. 
I'm not saying that that was a good part of our history or a bad part. I'm just saying that is part of our history. And is that when America was great? How about was America great during the era of Jim Crow laws and lynchings? It was, it was good for people to look like me during those seasons, 30s, 40s, 50s. It was good for people to look like myself and my daddy, but not so good for a lot of people. So folks of color, when they hear that slogan, make America great again, they think the person holding the ideology is espousing, not that they want to make America great again, they think that they're espousing make America white again. You see how the enemy of chaos can just use all that to divide more people? You know, Make America white again. No. Where the person saying make America great again, most likely they're just a good old boy just saying, you know what, make America right again. And they may have a prejudice bone in them, not a prejudice bone one. They're just patriotic, and they're looking at it like they want to see their country great. And in their minds, economically, and all the things you hear, apple pie and so on, it was great, you know, for people like, like me. But for a lot, of, it wasn't. I just, for a lot of people, that wasn't their sentiment, you know. And so I'm not saying, can I just listen? I'm not saying let's make America great again. Can I say something? I'm saying that all God's children of color can embrace cultivating shalom, and then we can declare together, make America great. And to be honest, two kings, one kingdom, or two kingdoms, one king. We have a king. His name is Jesus. To be honest, we're not even called to make America great. You know that? We're not. There's no place in there of making our country great. There's no place. We are called to live out the gospel of Christ and see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're called to. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches. Why palm branches? Symbols of peace, symbols of honor in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's what we're called to create. Amen? Now, in doing so, if a church will get it, guess what we'll do? We'll make America great. Right here from 659 Arnold Mill Road, the movement of precious in his sight can begin to go forth and challenge everybody to walk in such a way that we value and honor other people that we don't quite maybe understand, but we recognize that they are precious in his sight. So, yes, we can make America great Man, it's all about the kingdom first. We're called to embrace the kingdom. That's what precious in his sight is about, that value in people. And that's what Momentum Church is about. From the very beginning, when we launched this church, I had a vision. And I placed it in our mission statement. And back in 2005, Woodstock was 97% white. I even asked God, why are you bringing me there? I have friends from, from our, our church in Ohio. Our church, when I left, was about 18% African American, you know. And when I started there, it was 0%. Zero. And when I left, there was about 1,000 people, and about 18% of those were people of color. And that's always been my heart. And then God puts me in white Woodstock. <laughs> and so I just put in my, our mission statement to be a culturally relevant and diverse community of faith, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Just put it in there when it wasn't even there yet, you know, and begin to believe God and trust God for it, you know. Just place it in there. And next thing you know, Evelyn Villalobos comes. 
praise God for Evelyn. And she came in the chaos of body issues. She was in a wheelchair when she first came. And we began to pray for her, and the peace of God began to heal her. And it wasn't too long before she was on her walker, and then it wasn't too long before the four-post cane that she put on my foot. And then finally, <laughs> and then finally she walked in that victory, you know? But she came to us, and, and obviously, I'm not going to begin to name and names, but the Santos family began to come, and with every family, I'm like, thank you, Jesus, looking more like heaven, looking more like the Revelations passage we just read. And then the Haitian contingency started coming with, with Marie Jean-Louis showing up. And I love my wife. When she first saw it, she said, who's this Mary Jean Louise? <laughs> Marie Jean-Louis. And Etienne Joseph and, and Pastor Marvin Civil and man, just God just started to bring people to us. Can I tell you the favor that's on this house? Can I can I tell you the favor? God is so good, his favor's on this house. For years, God, please, I want somebody of color that can come and serve beside us. But we just just God just wasn't bringing anybody. And God brought Pastor Marvin right when it was the right time. He was studying for ministry, wasn't a pastor yet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Studying for ministry, wasn't a pastor yet, but God brought him into the house and within a year or so had such influence that God placed him through our process, the nomination process, outside of my hands. God put him on our board. Yeah. Is that cool? But that, that's not the first time God did that. When we first launched the, the board six years ago, God, I don't want all men on the board. Lord, let God, let a woman rise up. And Christine Batten was one of the, the highest nominations on the board. That's diversity. I mean, it blew my mind. God has favor on this house. And from day one, we saw Christine. And then we saw uh, Marvin come involved. And then it's Christine. Oh, I remember, um, God, we're a bunch of young people. We need some maturity around here. And the Lord brought us a retired pastor, Mike Gaither, in his early 70s. And God appointed him to the board right when we needed a daddy. Do you remember that? When we need, we need a father around here just to... To watch over us, just to speak life, just say, sons, you guys are getting it. You're doing it. You're making it happen. And to speak, man, God brought that spiritual father in this house right when we need it. And then as, as, as she's preparing to leave, last year, God brought Barbara, another female on the board, which was awesome, you know? And then this year, God is so good. Could not believe it. Not that I couldn't believe it because I didn't believe she deserved it. I did. But I couldn't believe the favor of God. And when it came time, as our board opened up another position, as someone rolled off, God brought us a black single woman to be on the board. What? Don't tell me God's not going to work diversity in this house. I know he is. I've seen his favor already. Come on. It's so good. So good. So good. And can I just say it this way? It wasn't affirmative action when God gave us Christine. It wasn't affirmative action when God gave us Mike Gaither. And it wasn't affirmative action when God gave us Barbara. And it wasn't affirmative action when God gave us Pastor Marvin. And it's not affirmative action when God gave us Eva. But it wasn't a coincidence either. It wasn't affirmative action, but it wasn't a coincidence. I'll tell you what it was. It was Holy Ghost action. Yeah. It was the favor of God on this house that we might look more like heaven in the next 5, 10, 15 years. You don't realize it, but in the last year, our number of diversity has literally doubled in one year. Last January, we began to pray about it, seek God on it, and God literally doubled our percentage of diversity in this house. we still really white. God's bringing people up. It looks like heaven every single week, and we're so thankful that God is at work in our church 
God is also at work in our city. On August 28th, I'm putting this up. Put in your calendars now. About 200 churches across this city are joining together. We're going to march to the back of Stone Mountain because in the early mid 1919, the Ku Klux Klan was revitalized on top of Stone Mountain with a ceremony. And we're going to march that day. It's on the screen. There it is. We're going to march that day, and so we're going to go up to the top of that and have a, a time of worship and prayer together with churches of all different colors and backgrounds and a time of public repentance and ask God to break racism off Atlanta, amen, and the region. Keep your ears open because between now and then, there's some other different prayer events happening, like March 4th from 6 to 8, it's a Sunday night, where there'll be a one-race regional prayer meeting that's happening just right over here on 92, a church heading toward Ackworth called Victory Church. We're going to be there praying that evening with all different people and backgrounds, and so we're putting our heart toward this one-race experience, you know? Why? Why are we doing that, you know? Because I'm wanting to let the devil know in this house, that there is no color in the kingdom. Come on. I heard John Gray, Pastor John Gray, amazing preacher say it. You know, ain't no black in the kingdom, ain't no white in the clean kingdom. It's only red. The blood of Jesus that is in all of us. That's the main component of the kingdom. It's not our skin color. It's the blood of Jesus. And we will grow diverse in this house and not divided. We will grow diverse and unified, not divided and in disunity. You know? I love it. All different people, all different backgrounds. I don't, I don't care what color, what culture, what background you come from. We are family. Yeah. Family. I mean, in a sense, family, you have something to say. We're, 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 Joe, get over here. You have something to say to Joe? We're family. You have something to say to Joe? You have to say it to me, too. Because we're family, right? You know how I know we're family? Because we have the same blood. Because Jesus forgave both of us. The wretch that we both were. Him more than me. No. No, the wretch that we both are. His blood shared. shared. We have shared DNA. We have shared anointing. We have shared blood. It's the blood, the anointing, the touch of Jesus in our lives. And that's what we celebrate. So, yeah, yeah, I, I, watch how you talk because I got black family. You better watch how you talk because I got Latino family. I've got, some, I've got some, some, some Asian family, you know. We're family. We're all in this together because the same blood that saved Job, saved Evelyn, the same blood saved me. And makes us blood related. Amen. We're going to take communion together. Because guess what? That's what families do. They eat together. We're the church of Jesus Christ. Commissioning. Coming off this fast with an anointing on the house to move forward in so many areas. But one of those areas is to embrace each other and our diversity. And get to know each other. To allow God's peace to enter into any kind of chaos wherever we are. So as the Church of Jesus Christ, we are challenging ourselves this month in all areas to cultivate the peace of God amidst the chaos of this world. As we worship, they're going to bring the communion elements. I'll come back up, and we'll have communion, and then we'll be dismissed. Let's worship God with everything we have. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.